like, dang, Jack, you had, you could have at least put her in like a put her in a puppy or something <laughs> where she can move around or put her somewhere else where she could. I don't know. I mean, I, the thing is, in that reality, you don't know what the best uh, alternative is. Hello and welcome to Black Mirror Cracked, the podcast for all your Black Mirror needs. My name's Sachandrika and I'll be your host. Today we'll be talking to one of the lead actors from Black Museum. His name's Aldous Hodge and he played Jack in the second story of Black Museum. He was married to Carrie who met a sad fate, which you might remember involves the words monkey needs a hug. Uh, my name is Aldous Hodge and uh, I played Jack in Black Museum. Did, had you watched Black Mirror before being cast? Oh, yeah, I watched every single uh, season, every episode, yeah. And um, which episode did you start with? Did you start at the beginning? Oh, I started at the beginning, episode one. Um, Yeah, I I was a fan of the show prior to even doing the show, and then when I heard the opportunity came up, I didn't even know the role, I didn't know the script, I didn't know what episode or anything like that, but I was just like, yes, I'll do it. I do not care what it is, I'll do it. So when you did get the script, um, what were your mm-hmm. thoughts? Did you did you just have your story, or did you have the whole script of the whole episode? I got got the whole episode, um, and I thought it was actually really quite cool. I, I liked how there were a lot of callbacks to some things that happened in previous episodes because being a being a fan, I kind of you know knew I, I could relate to to some of the little Easter eggs in there, but. Um, I thought, I mean, Charlie Brooker does a great job of giving a bit of perspective to how reliant we are on technology. It's almost eerily accurate. And, you know, if we take it a little bit too far, look what happens. Um, also, it's self-reflective, you know, these choices, things like what would you do in that, that kind of situation? And it's um, it's an awesome kind of weird noir type of sci-fi that we don't get really in this day and age. So. Um, when I read it and then I read my particular part, I felt like it was really cool just because of how conflicted he was. I mean, dealing with, you know, the love of your life, do you let her go completely or do you put her in your head? And I'm not sure what choice I would make, honestly. Um, I'm not sure. I, I don't think I'd put her in my head, but, um, it was, it was just kind of a really cool, uh, trip into a different sort of universe. I think that Jack has some of the hardest decisions to make in probably <laughs> any of the Black Mirror episodes. And, and he feels like quite a vulnerable person. He's grieving and he is a child. Rollo Haynes does use that phrase, she's done her thinking twice about two yeah. different partners, right? And yeah. it's, it's a very good way of capturing relationship dynamics. And yeah. Uh, yeah, what did you think of that? How did that get you into the role? You know, when you love somebody and you love hard, of course, you never want to let them go. And, and letting them pass on to the next journey, the next stage of their life, that takes a lot of strength and a lot of selflessness on your part. So I think that he was deeply emotional, deeply tied to this woman, deeply. Uh, I think he was a man of strength and morale, but at the same time, he just wasn't ready to let go. So he didn't have enough to just say, no, I got to let her, you know, pass on. But um. And, you know, he was trying. He was just trying to hold on to the little bit that he had left 
at the same time trying to figure out how to make it work for their child because it's weird you know you got a, a child in the mix that young that doesn't understand what's going on doesn't understand mommy's gone so he had a lot of different you know things to play around with and at the end of the day when it comes to anything i do i want to make sure there's truth and honesty attached to it so if he's in this state of hope and desperation almost equal to one another i wanted to make sure that it played out where in terms of the performance one complemented the next you know the hopelessness that eventually morphed into desperation that morphed back into trying to figure out what this new reality was with somebody living in your head i just wanted to make sure it was an honest performance and working with douglas douglas is awesome and it's pretty cool that we have the same last name yeah we met charlie um uh first time we met him was at the table read which is pretty cool but yeah no he wasn't uh he wasn't on set too often he kind of you know sat back and let us do our thing which was great because you know we just got to be free and, and i'm sure it was probably more of an experience of you know now it's in their hands and you know i'll, I'll see what, what comes out of it because you know he's fully confident at this point in what he's doing because he's got you know one of the hottest shows out his mind is ridiculous uh in terms of how he writes and, and what he comes up with uh, I wish I could be that insanely intuitive and creative. Our director was fantastic. Uh, you know, it's, it's we had a good team, especially working with people who are working on such a weird story where we all had to figure out what the approach was. Because this is not something we could really tie to our personal lives and say, oh, yeah, I've been through this. I've been through that. We really all had to kind of dip into our imaginations to bring this out. And our director, Cole, Cole McCarthy, um, he was just really easy with us. And especially we had a little five-year-old child on set who was looking at me in scenes, talking to myself literally and looking at me like I'm crazy. Uh, <laughs> we all had to, to pull out a little extra imagination to to really make this work. But it really did. Uh, I, I think it, it just came together quite nicely. And, you know, we, we tried our best. <laughs> and people liked it, so I'm happy about that. It's, it's kind of heartbreaking, although there is hope for Jack kind of towards <laughs> the end. And you do, you want yeah. him to be okay. He's been through a lot. And um, yeah. I was just thinking about those parts where you do have to walk around in front of the little boy playing your son and you have to talk to yourself. And yeah. what was it like playing that? Did you have anything being piped into your ear or did you just really have to act <laughs> with nothing? No, no. Sometimes um, sometimes we would have somebody read offline or sometimes I would just read the lines by myself because as a, just as an actor, if I'm reading the lines by myself, I can control the pace of it and I can uh, control the beats where I'm responsive. So I, I, I can create a little bit more freely. Like I said, for the for the little kid, I think he was just trying to figure out what, what was going on. But for for him, it was uh, I think it was all fun and games. But I mean, this is a situation where I'm not exactly working off of someone. I'm working off of what's in my head. So it's not like it's not equivalent to acting in a scene where you're on a phone call with somebody. You know, um, you have a little bit more personal. Uh, uh, you have a bit of more personal sort of enclosed space and intimate space that you have to deal with when you're trying to talk to somebody in your head. Um, almost like talking to yourself, but 
I tried to, to figure it out as much as possible and and uh, make it work because I didn't want it to look comical or satirical. I wanted it to look like this was his honest reality. And uh, well, I, I hope I did that. I mean, as long as little kid was uh, looking at me like I was crazy, I was like, I'm doing my job. And he's a sweet little kid. His name is Kairos. And uh, yeah, he was really he was an awesome little kid. He was funny, too. Was he cheeky? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was. He was just, um, I mean, we had a great time just trying to figure out how to play and, and, and enjoy ourselves, like when we were doing the scenes in the park and um, just running around having a good old time. He uh, he was really just kind of a, a ball of light. And I think, let me see, you know, I, I think it was my first time working with a, a child that young and, and that closely. You know, we, we had a really good experience. The idea of the X in the head is actually uh, something we can all connect to. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, that's something, it's like you can't, you really can't move on from there because, you know, you're trying to trying to start a new life. And, you know, it's one thing to deal with somebody who thinks about their ex. It's another thing to deal with somebody who actually has their ex living in their head, living with y'all. Um, it's, it's almost like you're in a relationship with both of them at the same time. And... Uh, yeah, I don't I don't understand how you could conceivably think you're able to move on in life with your ex living in your head. You know, that's that's imagine the pain that they have to go through, and especially in her state where she doesn't feel, touch, taste, smell anything unless you do. So whatever joy you experience with this new person, you know, she realizes that joy and that's that's got to be heartbreaking. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of torturous over time. It's absolutely torture. Absolutely torture. Where Carrie ends up in in the monkey <clears throat> in the museum is almost worse yeah, than that, the coma. That is like, geez, the fact that you read it and then you realize she's still in the monkey. So she's been sitting there forever. <laughs> Just, I mean, it's it's one thing to be in a prison but at least you can walk around freely you can do that she can't walk around she can't taste anything she can't experience anything outside of looking through that lens and i mean that's got to be it's like being paralyzed that entire time yeah it's the worst thing i could i couldn't imagine i was like that's just horrible i feel so bad like dang jack you had you could have at least put her in like a Put her in a puppy or something <laughs> where she can move around or put her somewhere else where she could. I don't know. I mean, I, the thing is, in that reality, you don't know what the best uh, alternative is. I mean, you put her anywhere else, she's still at the behest of whomever or whatever she she's uh, now occupying, whatever space she's not occupying. It's not like she'll ever control it. Um, and I guess it would be up to her to say whether or not she just wants to pull the plug, um, regardless of the legal limitations that were enacted uh, towards the last act. But still, I couldn't imagine that reality and just seems so torturous and terrible just because you feel bad on both on, on all ends. You feel bad for Jack. You feel worse for Carrie. Um, and there's really no, or at least they haven't invented at this point, any real sort of reprieve for her and her pain and what she's going through because unfortunately for Jack he can still move on and he'll be able to feel 
he'll figure out how to you know heal and forgive himself for the situation he can he can move on in life but for carrie she can't she's stuck she's literally frozen in time but i guess that's the genius of mr brooker giving you these situations to think about where it it messes with your perspective of reality or guess the chance of reality because you know there are ways that some of these situations touch what we live in on a regular basis and again that's why i think it's so interesting and that's why i really love the show because you look at this reality that seems so elaborate and you don't realize that there are people who are like carrie even though they may be autonomous and have you know control of their bodies mentally they're stuck in a space and they have been stuck in that space for quite a long time and they can't figure out how to get out or even physically not able to to move and they're stuck in that space and they cannot get out and you wonder what is that reality like for that person and how do you find happiness and how do you build up quality of life it has some links to San Junipero, I suppose, because Yorkie in that in that episode um, has a locked-in syndrome and she's completely paralysed and can't right. move. And she goes and right. lives her whole life and falls in love in this um, completely fictional space. But yeah. Carrie, you can't actually remove from the monkey. No. <laughs> so cruel. Yeah, it's, it's really cruel. It's terrible. But um, I think that was the best part about it because it, it was one of those episodes where people watch and they, if, if they didn't understand empathy before, they definitely understood it after that episode, especially after that, that moment, because, you know, you, you just come away feeling so bad for Carrie and, and there's no blame to really be placed there. Even though Carrie wanted to try this new reality, um, she didn't know how it was going to turn up. So it's not like you can say, Oh, well you made the choice you did to yourself. It's, it's none of that. It's, her fighting for her family and fighting for another chance, which we all, at the end of the day, really want. We, we all fight for some sort of love or hope for whatever reality we want to create, mostly when it comes to family and people that we, you know, are in love with. Everybody wants that extra chance. Everybody wants an extra little something. And for Carrie, unfortunately, it didn't turn out great. It was not the fairy tale ending. I think that's what's most scary about it is that the realization that she didn't get a fairy tale ending is quite often true in real life. Whereas sometimes we just don't get the fairy tale ending and it frightens some people in terms of taking a chance. Um, but I'm always definitely a proponent for taking full chance all the time, uh, regardless of the ending, because you can always choose a positive perspective on how things turn out. Yeah, I mean, we wanted so much for her to have a fairy tale ending and, and for her and Jack to be happy. And we wanted to see how they were going to figure out this really weird new life living together. And for a minute, it almost looked like it could have worked. And then things just got weird in natural Black Mirror fashion. The moment Carrie <laughs> says, yeah. our hands you know everyone's yeah. in trouble it's but yeah. it's kind of when you've moved in together it's then our sofa regardless of yeah exactly so it's it's an extension of that but to the body and to the mind and it's yeah. possible and you think how personal you are about your your material things which at the end of the day don't matter but still when you have to mentally share your world with somebody and then you have to realize when they say our it's not necessarily them being controlling 
or or selfish or entitled. It's the natural evolution of a relationship. You should want to share. You should want to come into house and home and have that be ours, not yours and mine. But mentally, you have to open up yourself to that idea of no longer just being singular, an individual in everything you do. But when it comes to your body, that is the most personal thing. Your body should be your body, but he now has to share that. The most personal, the most intimate space or, or you know, the, the way he communicates with anything in the world is now a shared experience. I think what makes relationships work oftentimes is a bit of in, independence, you know, solitude every now and then. You, you know, go away from somebody long enough to miss them. So when you come back, you enjoy every moment there is. Um, you know, you have a fight. You take space to breathe, to realize how much you appreciate that person. You come back together and you, you work things out and you come back together stronger. But, uh, you know, even in, uh, absence does make the heart grow fonder. But what happens when you can no longer be absent from this person? There's no way to, you know. And then for for Jack, the subtle solution to that was being able to put Carrie on pause. But Carrie, for her being on pause, being on pause is like a blink of an eye. So she doesn't really get that space or that separation. So she can't really figure out how to distance herself from the experience like Jack can. So it was one-sided. It wasn't a fair, fair experience for both of them. And there's very little room for them to actually build and and sort of heal and grow what this new relationship is for them. It's like a system of checks and balances on all ends and where things were before where, you know, you had ways and understood how to to fix problems before this new reality put up walls in front of all of those ways. And it just became sort of a sordid attempt at trying to figure out how to be happy with one another. How does it work on set then? Where was Alexandra Roach sitting? <laughs> and So sometimes she would be off camera, uh, off to the side reading her lines. Um, I mean, she always wanted to be present, which was awesome. I really appreciated that, uh, her being there for me. Um, but, but yeah, sometimes she would just be off reading her lines, doing her thing, and then I would be sitting there with, you know, the in my head or I'd be stuck with a camera on my head uh, to give her, you know, her perspective. What you saw was uh, my wonderful camera work. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, she'd be right there. I mean, for us, it was fun. And, and Alexandra, she's awesome. I mean, the entire cast was really fantastic, really enjoyed working with everybody. She was definitely uh, in my corner and gave me full support that I needed in order to try to flesh out this character and this performance. Did you ever go to the set that was like the inside of your mind where she sits and take a selfie in the chair? Because I would have done. Uh, no, I wish. I wish they shot that portion after my scenes were done. So I was already back home by the time they started shooting that. But I didn't want to go see. It would have been awesome to see. I mean, that would have been, yeah, it would have been fantastic. But I just get to see it on TV like everybody else. You know, there's there's pros and cons to every kind of experience on a set. And, and I think the thing is to always focus on the pros. And for, for that kind of experience where you don't have people fully there or fully in front of you, it really makes you engage what it is you do as an actor, which is to create, you know, this 
illusionary space and really try to figure out how to be creative um really understand what it means to imagine um you know but also with us we had uh, actors who were you know like i said alexandra not technically in the scene or at least not there physically but she would she'd be there on set reading lines and we'd go over things or if she couldn't be available we would talk about the lines and talk about the scene like the day prior so we would both be prepared because we're acting off of one another and especially for her scenes where it's all you know her by herself and i think she shot most of it in like one day which was crazy because a lot of a lot of work but she had to know how to respond so us working together prior was her figuring out also how to respond to me and how we acted, um, how what what real the the real depth of our relationship as characters, what, what the real depth of Jack and Carrie's relationship was. Um, so we figure it out, even if we can't always be there, or even if we're not working in the same area, or you know we we figure out we have ways to to work it out. Plus, when we were off work, we all were. Primary, most of us were uh, primarily at the same hotel, and we would just go grab dinner, and you know, just really found time to uh, to to bond, and that helps a lot because then you get a sense of who it is that you are sharing the same stage with. It was a location shoot, so we shot all over, but you know, we were spending a good bit of time in Kensington. Um, I know they shot a portion of it in Spain, though. I did not get to go for that, and I really would love to have gone. That would have been awesome, but uh, you know, <laughs> I got London, which is awesome too. <laughs> so, yeah, and um, Douglas Hodge said that he said that they're in that bit of, in the like deserty bit of Spain, where the it's desert, like yeah. the American Midwest. And then I spoke to Ray McCannelly, who's Greg the nurse in San Junipero. Yeah. His episode goes out this week. And he said the cast went to um, Cape Town to film like the beach scenes inside San Junipero. Yeah. He didn't get to go. He was in Stratford, East London, where the Olympics <laughs> was to all the interior shots. So some people get like the Black Mirror trips. And, trips. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Some of you have got got words to have with Charlie Brooker, I think. But, you know, I mean, I'm look, I... You know, I live in, in California and I got a free trip to London, so I'm not <laughs> complaining by far. And then I've been in and out of London. I've taken trips since 2006. And honestly, this was the best time that I had there. Was able to really find myself, figure myself out, uh, you know, in the town, go to different museums, things like that. I had a, a wonderful time. I was there almost a month. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. Almost. It was like three weeks, uh, about three weeks, maybe a little bit more. So um, it was a real fantastic time. Has her mum in her head? We find out in the last scene. Yeah. What did you think yeah. of that? Does that work? I, I definitely I love my mom to death. I do not want my mom in my head. That's what Douglas Hodge um, said, by the way. Exactly yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, my mom is is one of my best friends. Like, got you know, but she she's fantastic. But I think that they were on a mission together and they needed to complete it together and they probably needed to lean on each other for strength in order to accomplish this mission. Now, granted, per the law, as it is stated at the end of the episode, uh, I mean, within the episode, she can't get her out of her head, <laughs> you know, um, for for me, I think it it shows 
the, the differences between the same choice and perception. The same choice, granted this is not the love of her life, this is her mom, but same choice, different circumstances, different choices made because of those circumstances, um, which is the best thing about just television in general. You get to see so many different uh, realities and you get to ask yourself as an audience, well, if I were in these similar circumstances, how would I act? What would I do? I think oftentimes our the answer we would like to give is not the answer that is true. You know, we would like to say in this situation, I'd have the strength or the courage to do this or to act otherwise. But oftentimes, you know, what the reality is surprises us. But with Nish, they were both on a heavy mission. And I think that in order to honor her mom, her mom, in order for her mom to even move on mentally or spiritually, she had to see this justice enacted. And I think that's what Nish gave her. Do you think he deserves his fate, Rollo Haynes? <laughs> um, it's so odd because to a degree we're talking about the death penalty. And I was just having this conversation yesterday uh, because uh, my next job is it's a film called Clemency, which really deals with how we feel about the death penalty and the judicial system, uh, primarily here in the States. Um, I'm not sure if a quick death was, uh, was equivalent to the pain that he's caused. Um, then again, you know, I don't, I don't know what the, the right answer is there. I mean, is it, you know, I mean, he made, Nish's father suffer repeatedly, repeatedly, and is justice giving him the same punishment, or is it just cutting off his access to continuing that punishment, um, or is it imprisoning him in a cell forever, mentally, spiritually, physically? Is it, you know, him being stuck in an inanimate object like Carrie? I personally, this may sound bad, but I probably would have put him in an inanimate object like Carrie. Um, just to let him see how that feels for a little while. Uh, but I think that Nish made the best choice. That was the best choice for her. And I'm still satisfied with his, his ending, but uh, yeah, it's hard to say because he's caused so much pain and grief and he did so willingly. I think he understood, you know, as a creator always understood more than the recipient of his inventions so i think that he knew the possibility of what happened it could actually happen and just didn't care because he was using people as test subjects he's he's someone who we only realize quite slowly is the villain of the piece and is unfeeling and he kind of spreads yeah. poison through all of these lives and it's it's hard to know how to punish that you know much like his first victim he was addicted to pain just not his own mercy or empathy that humane touch that allows you to say this is not okay how can i stop this that's strange to me but he was the greatest he was a really great representation of that because there are people like that and we see them every day especially now when it comes to you know american politics you know i mean you know this this entire cabinet is the best worst thing to happen because you know they fully expose a lot of the poison within the society here in the culture of America. And I would hope that it stands as a lesson for improvement and ele evolution 
for the next term. I mean, the fact that the White House said the shooting, 17 people dead, is a reprieve from the White House taking a beating. I'm sorry, 17 people that just got killed, got shot, most of these children, that's a reprieve for you? That is a reprieve. That's a release. That's a, oh my God, thank, thank God that happened. Cause now you're not talking about us and our philandering anymore. That that's disgusting. And then their real solution that at this point is let's not enact any more gun laws. Let's not remove the guns. Let's put more guns out there. Let's give teachers guns. Now it makes no sense. It's like, is human life really secondary in terms of money in terms of the power that the nra has in terms of i mean look nobody nobody's saying completely destroy uh uh, uh american values and the right to own and this that and the other but you know they're talking about hey you're taking away our second amendment yeah but the second amendment was written in a time where it was legally okay to own people And I was having this conversation with buddies of mine the other day. They're like, well, you know, okay, look, I can own a gun. I can own a a military grade automatic rifle, but why can't I own a bazooka or a rocket launcher or a tank? Isn't it the same thing? Why are there differences when it comes to one versus the next? When they do the same thing, they're machines designed ultimately to kill. Why do we have so much access to them? So, Regardless, the lack of empathy and the lack of understanding the pain that you're causing with the weapon that you're causing with only to gain more for yourself personally is exactly indicative of Rollo Haynes. I hate to say, you know, it's it's a race thing, but when it's, it's very evident in how they treat things, when it's black and brown, it's either terrorism or gang violence. When it's a white perpetrator, they're never called a homeland terrorist. It's always a mental issue. So in the response to a mental issue, let's take the attention away from gun violence and put it on the mental welfare of the of the community. Therefore, guns are still okay. It's just this one independent person. Unfortunately, there was an issue. This last perpetrator who shot 17 people, there were like 19 different warnings about this one individual person that the FBI ignored. Um, through the years, they knew something was wrong. He immediately said, I'm going to shoot this and shoot this. If that was a black or a brown child, they would have gotten on it immediately. That has a lot to do with their proposed or their supposed policies. And that needs to be acknowledged as well. But that's something that they won't openly acknowledge. Black Museum does deal with race, prison, the presumption of guilt in Clayton's story. Well, the problem with his situation is that he was not given the benefit of the doubt from the beginning. He was not giving a a fair sentence, a fair share. They just automatically said, hey, boom, guilty, which that's what I really love about what Charlie Brooker does, because he has these subliminal messages where I think he pulls directly from truth and directly from politics. Uh, Primarily a few episodes in this season were inspired by American politics and what's going on. And they resonate because you can truly see the ugliness. Sometimes when you're living in it, it's hard to realize what the truth is. But when you can sit back and you can watch it and you find entertainment and then you actually feel, oh, wait a minute, this is not okay. But you realize there's truth tied into that experience to real life. Then you can begin to grow a little bit 
more empathetically. And I think that with he with what he's done with his episodes, which is why I love how so, they're so eerily tied to reality. Um, he allows people to see the ugliness in some of the decisions that they continue to make without understanding the consequences, without understanding who's really affected. You know, I think Rallo is one of those characters who doesn't think about or really cares about the consequences until he's affected, until it hits his home. And then at that point, it's too late. Why do we late? Why do we wait until it gets too late? You know, why not change for the better when you have the time and the opportunity to? But, <clears throat> you know, that's, I hope we get uh, 15, 20 more seasons of Black Mirror. Um, and I, you know, as I, what I've noticed is as the, I mean, of course, uh, as the culture evolves, so does the show in subject matter, which is awesome. So I can't wait to see what happens on the next go round. Yeah, I think for me, Black Museum is, it does feel like a, a, an evolution of the Black Mirror format. It goes even further than before. And I mean, in terms of like human emotion and, right. and issues, even more than the technology, the technology is almost taking it back seats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, the, the human emotion definitely drives what the technology is. So the technology, I think, is only there to service and sort of exemplify what's going on emotionally with these characters and where they're at. Yeah, I just, you know, I appreciate the love and support that we got from it and can't wait to see what's happening on the next season of Black Mirror. As an actor, you, you step into different shoes for different experiences and you want to get the most out of that. Uh, whatever you're doing with your time and with your talent and... I knew that whatever it was going to be with Black Mirror was going to be good. It was going to be awesome. And they put you in a reality that you would rarely, if ever, be in again with any other set. It was just really a wonderful experience, and I kind of signed on for the experience. I just wanted to see what was going to happen, and it turned out to be something great. Thanks, Aldous, for Skyping in to speak to us about his time working on Black Museum, a fantastic episode. If you'd like to tweet us, you can get hold of us on at Black which is C with three R's, or you can get hold of me directly on at Sachandrika C. You will see both of these Twitter handles on whichever podcast platform you're listening to us from. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review, subscribe, click all the stars, dedicate a museum to this podcast, and invite your friends to come and see it, because we'd love other Black Mirror fans to discover it. And that's all from me for this week. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye. <laughs>